Welcome to Ignite Your Influence podcast, episode 149. I am recording this from the Graves Crossing State Forest Campground in northern Michigan. I am on my immersion. I was supposed to be at a 10-day meditation retreat, and due to COVID restrictions, I didn't get to go. And so I said, you know what? I need to get away. I need to do my things from a different viewpoint and build some self-awareness around what I need in order to continue being successful in my own life. And so it's really appropriate that I have Dr. L. Carol Scott on for Ignite Your Influence podcast episode 149 because she lives in an RV. She does this all the time. It's awesome. This is my second day and I'm digging it. But anyway, Dr. Else Carol Scott is also a developmental psychologist and she gives us some amazing insights on development and how our success strategies with other people are built in the first seven years of our lives. Um, She shares how we can start to um, raise our kids in a way that allows them to develop these seven characteristics uh, correctly and what we can do if we figure out in adulthood that we didn't get those things in the first seven years. (laughs) We need to go back and have a little developmental do-over. So she talks a little bit about that, about her nomadic lifestyle living in an RV and the connection between our brains and Lady and the Tramp. So make sure that you listen all the way through because there's some fascinating stuff in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. All right, welcome to Ignite Your Influence podcast. Today we've got Dr. L. Carol Scott, author, speaker, and coach helping and supporting women on the rise to find their sassy selves. Carol, how are you today? Oh, I am doing so well today and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and I'm psyched that you're on the call because you're my kind of people. You have a lifestyle that I've always kind of been like, that would be cool. You live full-time in your RV and you travel around to wherever you want to go. Is that right? That is correct. I live in a small 24-foot, they call it a B plus. So if you're familiar with the types of RVs, it's like a C, which has the bed over the cab and you drive the thing. That's a motorhome. Mine doesn't have a bed over the cat. It's a little more streamlined, smaller body and short, and it doesn't tow a car. So I'm very mobile. I'm like a large van (laughs) and I go a lot of places in my RV. I can go almost anywhere. Yeah. And you said you're in Oregon now. You're going to be in San Francisco by the end of the week and wintering in Baja. Yes, that's my choice for this year. (laughs) That sounds amazing. What made you decide to do that? Um, I had always had a hankering. Um, And back in the mid nineties, I thought about it for a while, went to some RV shows, looked at what was available, looked at my lifestyle and looked at the technology back in 1997, Mm. you know, you could barely be able to use a fax machine on the road, let alone alone be able to get access to most of your communications. So it's a much easier thing to do now. And I really have pretty good access to the world outside. And it's become a pretty common, the nomadic lifestyle in an RV is starting to be a thing. I know a Um, lot of people. I I thought of it a few years ago. It's just, I'm done being in the Midwest. I don't know where I want to live. I think I'll just go for a year at least and see if I can find the place that I love, which I haven't found yet. That's awesome. Which means that you just get to keep looking, which is half the fun. Still looking, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting as we think about these unique lifestyles and unique choices, it's all about self-awareness and figuring out who am I? 
And what's yes. the right answer for me? And that's what you specialize in, in the work that you do with women on the rise. That is exactly right. And what I uh, know as a developmental psychologist and someone who's worked with young children uh, for my whole career is that we, all of us humans, are supposed to get that pretty nailed down. Who am I? What do I think? What do I want? What do I feel? How do I feel emotionally? And what is it that um, what is it that I am? You know, at the heart of me, with those pieces, of what I think, what I want, what I feel, what I need in life. This makes me uniquely who I am. No one has that same package, I believe, of needs and feelings and wants and. And we are that, each of us. And we're supposed to figure that out when we're like two years old. But our culture in particular here in the United States isn't very good at helping toddlers with that. We are more about trying to make them be who we want them to be. Mm. Interesting. So you're saying this whole process starts when we're really, really, really little. When you are less than six months old, you're learning how to trust that other people will be there when you need them. Mm. And you, you learn that by how the world responds to your very deep physical need for survival, for food, for staying warm, for rest. You know, when a, when a baby cries, when a newborn infant cries, it's sort of, you could be decoded as, help me, I need X, mm. food, a blanket, a change of diaper. They're just a little bundle of needs. And all they know how to do is say, I need stuff, help me, hello, because they're completely dependent. And then the world, the people around them either show up for them and do those things that they need, or they don't. And there's a wide variety of reasons why they might not, but the end result is the same. What the baby learns in the first six months is, yeah, I need stuff, but the world doesn't really come around for me. Mm -hmm. I just lie here and need stuff. And I cry until I get tired of crying and I don't get what I need. That's a different brain wiring than somebody shows up every time I need something and they take care of what I need and I feel really great all the time. My brain wires up around one or the other. <clears throat> and that's the key to know about our self-awareness is that these experiences that we have when we're very young literally construct the architecture of our brain. And we have to undo that if we want it to be different. Mm. Mm. So what do we do? I mean, you know, you get to 30, 40 years old and you realize, oh crap, I got some faulty wiring up in here. What do I, what do I do? Well, of course there are, you know, sort of the baseline things that everybody needs to do for what I call the big deal in your life. So if you're using drugs and alcohol as a way to get through to survive how you feel, you gotta quit that. You gotta dial that back a little bit, reel it in, find a way to face life without the anesthetic. If you're in a toxic relationship where you're being abused, you can't separate the, if you have trauma in your childhood, it's hard to separate that and deal with it from the trauma you're having now, if you're still in a relationship that doesn't treat you well. So you have to deal with what I call the big deal. And then after you deal with the big deal, then it's time to start really looking at the details underneath. How did I get into that situation in my life? And repatterning um, the behavior repatterns the brain. The experience, you know, our brains are wired from experience. So you are born, each of us is born with a hundred billion loose neurons like a bowl of spaghetti. 
and they need to connect to each other in meaningful ways to create a brain that can do stuff, that can think, and that can talk and move. And so every moment of experience that we have from, from birth wires up like a million new connections per second. So every single thing that happens, the, the breeze on the baby's face, the hands that pick them up and the bottle that goes in the mouth, every visual, every tactile, every auditory experience wires neurons together. And so what we do is we have to provide new experience then in order to rewire. So we have to repattern with new experience. So I have these things I call development do-overs that do that. Okay. And is that what you do in your coaching, in your intensive programs? Yes. And you, you know, I, I kind of say you can do it yourself. If you want to just buy the book, I created a workbook called just be your S E L F your guide to improving any relationship, because it really is all about creating the kinds of assets. You know, the very earliest social emotional assets we get are from birth to three. We learn how to get along with people before we're four. And then we carry all of that forward into adulthood and it either works or it doesn't, or it works in a healthy way or it works in an unhealthy way. You know, like you can learn to manipulate people and have it work mm-hmm. to get you what you want, but you, you might not be as happy as if you learn how to negotiate for it instead right. of manipulate. Right. So, I mean, I have to ask the question for the parents that are listening and going, uh-oh, I got a <laughs> six month old. What do I, what do I, how do I do this right? <laughs> Yeah, that I, that always happens. And when I when I talk to adults about the do overs, every single one of them is thinking about their parenting if they are parents. Totally. And what they did wrong there. Or if they're teachers, they're thinking about lots of classroom moments that they wish they could go back and do over again. Um, yeah, and it is important to, I believe, both do our own work, put the oxygen mask on your own face before you try to help the little kid. Mm. But yes, then let's also use those new self-awarenesses about how we trust and how independent we are in our understanding of each other and how we negotiate. Let's carry that over into our interactions with children. And I think the number one, I have two pieces of advice for parents. One, really look at your kid and be aware that that's a person, that they are competent from birth. And number two, get out of their way. Stop doing things for, stop helping, stop hovering, get out of their way and just watch them be competent. Almost always kids will pursue a task, pursue an effort, little kids, kids who are six, eight months old, they'll pursue something they want a lot longer than you think. You don't have to help. They'll get there. Give them a minute. So watch, notice the competence and get out of the way. Mm, I love that. And That's I'm not a, a parent. Yeah. And I'm not a parent. And I've always thought that I was like, let, let them fall down. Let them figure it out. Let them like stop doing stuff Oops. for them all the time. Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, good. I'm glad to hear a professional say that. Now I've never actually heard <laughs> out the parental advice because, you know, parental advice from somebody without kids is, you know, it's kind of a jerk thing to do. <laughs> But also, I mean, I heard you talk uh, earlier before we started about nieces and nephews. And, you know, my thing is every one of us has the power to influence a child somewhere in our lives. If I'm not a parent either, I never had had the glory of having kids, but I've had a fabulous number of kids in my life Mm -hmm. on whom I have had a direct impact. 
And I wanted that to be a good one. And now you know, know a little bit more about being an auntie. Yeah, right. And and I love that because I mean, it is about self-awareness. It's about intentionally doing the things we want to do to get the best results from the people around us and with the people around us. So I love that. Now, in your programs, you support women on the rise and you talk about SaaS. Talk to me about this SaaS thing and how you what that is all about. All right. So the SaaS really is these seven strategies for self-awareness that are really built into our early development. And there's one for each year of our growth from birth to seven. So I call the the infant self-awareness success strategy is trust. That's their success strategy. You're supposed to learn that when you're an infant. The toddler's success strategy is what I call independence, knowing who you are, having the boundaries that say, I'm over here. I think, feel, want, need these things. You're over there. (laughs) You think, feel, want, need those other things that aren't what I think, feel, want, need. We're different and we can cohabitate. We can get along. We can have our relationship be about discovering all of that instead of trying to control it in each other or judging it in each other. We get to just say, wow, look at you. You're a unique, amazing person. And so am I. Let's find out all about that. Mm. And that that goes back to what you talked about with know their competence and leave them alone. Let them do it because they're realizing like I can do stuff. Yes. Mm, And the hard thing about the hardest thing about toddlers is they come (laughs) to this consciousness of who they are before they can talk really very coherently. And so they have a very small vocabulary for expressing a lot of complexity that's going on on the inside. So they're just yelling no at us. <laughs> no, no, I won't. <laughs> but what they really want to say, if they could, is you've got the wrong idea about what I want over here. I'm like deeply engaged in what I'm doing and really excited about it. And you want me to go do what? Wash my hands for lunch? Who cares, frankly? Leave me alone. <laughs> but they can't say all that. So they say, no, and they throw a tantrum. Mm. And we have to learn how to decode uh, some of that, some of the behavioral cues right from infancy. You have to decode behavior because you don't have language. Mm -hmm. And then when they tell us in language who they are, this is how I feel. You know, half the time they say you shouldn't feel that way. That what they hear back is you shouldn't feel like that. Mm. That's not an acceptable feeling to have. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't hate. You shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't be jealous. Don't feel those things. They're wrong. Don't be that person who wants that. That means that you're greedy. That means that you're needy when you act like, you know, so Mm. we get these messages from the world when we say, look at me over here. I'm this unique, cool person who thinks and feels and wants stuff. And the rest of the world is going, oh, wrong stuff, honey. Uh, Oh, (laughs) And you end up unpacking that on the couch at the shrink's office years and years later. (laughs) Exactly. That is exactly true. All right. And so so then we go, we go on with the success strategies to the the three-year-olds. I call it the first adolescent success strategy because three-year-olds, we, the three and four-year-olds, we call that the first adolescence and it's faith. It's this naive belief that anything is possible. Mm. And that's something we need as adults. We need to have that ability to still think that there could be something magical to have hope 
to believe in things unseen. And then the four-year-old learns how to negotiate. So three-year-olds are like this, oh, the world. And four-year-olds are like, huh, the world, let's figure this stuff out. (laughs) And so the world, (laughs) the world. And so four-year-olds are all about the negotiation, learning to get what they want. Now they know what they want. If they were an effective toddler success strategy, now they're going to use the success strategy of negotiating in win-win, you get what you want and I get what I want too, kind of deals. That's preschool in a nutshell, four-year-old pre-K, the pre-K success strategy. Then the kindergarten success strategy for the five-year-old is to plan. They're the the little strategic planners of the early childhood to have a vision and to figure out how to get there. I'm going to build that and here's how it's going to go. And here's what you're going to do because that's when they get bossy, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) That is exactly right. Not only say what I'm going to do, here's what you're going to (laughs) do. You know, my my little group of five-year-olds used to stand around on the playground when I was a young preschool teacher and director. They'd go out onto the playground. They had 30 minutes and they would stand in a corner and spend 25 of it planning what to play. (laughs) Right? You're going to be so, you're going to be Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. That dates me to when this was. And you're going to be Chewbacca. And first we're going to go in the Millennium Falcon and go to the third moon of Endor. They would stand there and like dictate to each other how the whole play was going to go. And then their parents would come pick them up and they never got to play. It was hilarious. And so we go on to the success strategy. The six-year-old is compromised uh, in first grade. And in second grade, the success strategy is to accept that you don't get your way and things don't always go right. And you still have to move on. You still have to go on with your life. So trust, independence, faith, negotiation, vision, compromise, and acceptance. And if we get those seven success strategies in our back pockets when we're little, we don't need any help getting along in adulting. And if we don't? We need a lot of therapy and help with adulting. (laughs) And we need Dr. Carol Scott's coaching for sassy women. Because you need that sass in your life. You just cannot, I feel you cannot really rise to all you are capable of if you haven't got those seven uh, sassy assets Interesting. And I mean, everybody in the audience, just so you know, I mean, this is from a PhD in developmental psychology. You know, Carol's not talking about, you know, things she made up, right? This is (laughs) developmental psychology here and looking at what did I get when I was little? What didn't I get? And how can I rewire and figure that stuff out now so I can be the most effective at this adulting thing that we'd like to all give back? Yeah, sometimes. And you know, for the, for the other developmental uh, geeks, for the people who know child development out there listening, you're going to recognize some pretty pure developmental theory and research in what I talk about that getting trust. That's, you know, that's the very beginning of the Eric Erickson's psychosocial struggles that children have in their first few years. So, you know, this, I like, like you said, and I'm not making any of this up. It's built on decades of theory and research in child development, the neuroscience alone that started coming out in the 1990s about that, you know, 100 billion brain cells that we come into life with, you know, no child has as many, no adult has as many brain cells or brain connections as a five-year-old child. They have the most brain capacity they're going to have for their whole life when they're five years old. And 95% of that brain architecture has literally been wired up neural connection by neural connection, 95% of it since they were born by the age of five. 
That's pretty astonishing when you think about it. And more astonishing is that 85% of it is built by age three. Mm. So before we could talk, before we could really navigate the world in any meaningful way, well, when we still thought everything was magic, <laughs> we had already been created to be the social being we were going to be. We already had it all wired up. And some of us need some serious rewiring. I did. Yeah. yeah. Serious rewiring. <laughs> Going through all of that and sort of the, the wiring that you end up with as an adult who didn't get one or more of those seven self-awareness success strategies when they were little, now they come to you and say, I gotta, there's some stuff that I gotta fix. How mm -hmm. do you rewire your adult brain? If you're like, okay, I know something's up going on with my spaghetti. I got to re reattach it yeah. so that the lady gets to kiss the tramp. Somehow I can't, you know, the lady in the tramp when the spaghetti <laughs> yeah. brings the spaghetti kiss. noodle. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that's the first oh. thing I thought of, but anyway, how do we fix that's our brains? Awesome. <laughs> um, my process begins with asking us to assess where we are. So let's take a look at how you trust now, because the truth is we tell ourselves a lot of stories about trust too. And we don't really understand how it works. So if we go back to the infant's job is to trust people to meet their needs. So we have to look at what we need. So it begins with assessing, if you will, kind of taking a, a look at the landscape of how we get our needs met in the life that we have right now. What are the needs you have interpersonally with other people, physical touch, uh, sexual contact, um, somebody who will listen to me without interrupting, uh, somebody who will kick my butt when I'm being dumb and not when I'm in a pity party and need to get off it. You know, it's <laughs> like the things that you need interpersonally from people, what are they? And who in your life does that right now? Who in your life is the person who you can kind of count on for that? And let's take a look at the patterns related to that. Is, are you always relying only on yourself? or only on one person, a spouse or a bestie? Uh, or do you have your needs sort of distributed? You don't have all your eggs in one basket, if you will. You're getting your needs met by a variety of different people in your life. We begin to see and rewire our understanding about how much trust we already have. We start to think of ourselves as people who trust more, which then builds the new pattern around that. And we start asking people, we start teaching people what we need asking them to meet our needs. So there's the, it's kind of a long-term process of working through the pattern, but it begins with looking at what's it look like now, always. What are you doing now? And then starting to look at where the needs are, how can I communicate those and then start moving towards that. Yeah. Yes. And in the work that I offer, whether it's as a speaker trainer or as a coach or in my books, it's really important for us to look at the experience of the child you were. You don't have to remember everything about it to be able to deduce, to, to guess at some of the experiences that you had based on your adult patterns. And so we have to be willing to face the truth that, you know, maybe mom didn't do the greatest job of meeting my needs when I was six months old. And I can forgive her for that. Poor woman had really serious postpartum depression. Or, you know, she had just gotten divorced and was back in the workforce for the first time. Or like, the, as I said, the list is long. Mm -hmm. It includes really serious problems like drug and alcohol abuse of the parent or um, the parent living with an abusive partner. So <clears throat> 
we don't have to look at and get down into all the grubby stuff. And I try not to in my coaching because I think the grubby stuff, as I understand it, the really hard trauma recovery work should happen in a therapist's office. And I am not a clinical therapist. Mm, mm, I'm a developmental psychologist. I know child development. I know what should have happened back then. I can tell by looking at you what probably did. And so we can take a look at how you can regrow yourself through some of those patterns. And you still have to address, if you've had trauma, you still have to address the trauma. So we talk about trauma. We talk about the adverse childhood experiences list, Mm -hmm. which is 10 documented early childhood traumas that have a really long-term and deep impact on people. So that's a piece of it, but it's also just about saying, what do I look like now as an adult in my relationship? How am I functioning? And what can I do to make that something that would make me happier, more productive and feel like my relationships were bringing me joy instead of giving me grief or making me tired? Yeah. Love it. And so you work with people, do you work with people independently or do you just do your uh, seven week virtual intensive? Um, Right now I'm not doing any individual coaching. I'm going to try group coaching for a while. Um, This is about relationships and the relationship can't just be with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important. I remember when I, uh, I'm a person who on that list of 10 adverse childhood experiences grew up with seven of them. So I had a lot of therapy when I was in my thirties. And one of the things that my therapist thought was really important was that I not only do individual, but that I be in a group because Mm -hmm. what I had learned was about how to manage myself in a world full of people who were unpredictable. And I needed to continue to learn how to do that because people are going to keep on being unpredictable. They might not be as dangerous as my dad was. He was pretty dangerous, unpredictable person, but they're still going to be unpredictable. And I have to learn the social skills I didn't get. I didn't have them. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm at 30 watching a room full of preschoolers learn how to get along with each other going, man, I'm not that good at that. (laughs) (laughs) They call me the teacher. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They're teaching me. And I really felt that, you know, that at 33 and 34, I was kind of learning along with them, the social Mm -hmm. skills I should have learned at three and four. So you could like integrate with them and like learn their secrets (laughs) without like having to embarrass yourself. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. They always thought I was cool no matter what. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So yeah. So that group, and and I've found a lot of value recently in some of the coaching groups that I'm in and, and you get different insights from different people and you have to learn to, you know, interact with the people who you may not totally connect with. And again, it's building those, those interactive tools so that you can get the best results that you can, which ultimately is why we're here on Ignite Your Influence. Yeah, Influence Podcast. Well, I'll make sure all these uh, links, your website and the books are in then your TEDx talk. Tell us about that. Oh, thank you. That was one of my first goals before going on the road in the RV. I I listened to Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you're familiar. I love it. I've got it it right over there. I'm looking at it right now. Oh my God. (laughs) And his way of setting goals and working with them every day with affirmations and vision boards. And I did that. And I set four goals. And the first one was to give a TEDx talk sometime in 2018. And I set the goal in like November of 2017, not knowing that it often takes people years to get on a TEDx stage. I had no idea. And so just ignorant and naive, I went and did the research and found someplace close to me and uh, applied at what turned out to be the last minute. I thought it was months in the future, the year before they had done it in May. 
And I uh, sent an email just connecting, just networking in January. And the woman who was the host said, actually, we're meeting on Monday to finalize our lineup. The event is March 6th or March 8th or something like that. If you want to send us a three minute or less video um, over the weekend, we'll look at it Monday night and we'll consider you. So I did. I just got home from the, my center community, my spiritual community on Sunday morning and set my iPhone on top of the dresser and just started talking about the, the success strategy of faith, which at that time I called the childhood treasure. I used to call them the childhood treasures. And they picked me and they put me at the top of the list. I was the first speaker of the night. And I talked about how, when we're three years old, we have the magic of believing that all things are possible and that we need that as adults in order to really have a whole life and a full life. There needs to be a mission. There needs to be a reason to get out of bed. And it can't just be going to work and earning a paycheck. That's boring in the long run and it doesn't last forever. So So that three-year-old success strategy of having something you believe in that you're going to work on till you die um, is what I talked about and gave people the opportunity to do some development do-overs during the talk. It was very fun. Oh, very cool. And and so give us just a quick tip on that one. I mean, the pessimist in all of us sometimes says, once we get all of our spaghetti connected as an adult, we get all Eeyore-ish. So how do we rewire that one? You know, what I do is I invite people to just notice what they wish was different in the world. Because a lot of the big dreams that three-year-olds concoct have to do with changing something so that it will be better for them right? Get rid of something bad they don't like or make something new happen that they would like. So what if we were three years old and we could just say, well, I really think somebody should, and we'll just do it from somebody. Somebody should clear all the plastic out of the ocean. Somebody should end child abuse. Somebody should. And so I just invited the audience to popcorn out their ideas. Somebody should do these things. And so they did that. And then the next step is I invite you to say, now go back through that list And listen for the one that kind of raises the hair on the back of your neck a little bit or makes you sit up a little straighter or catches at your throat when you say it and say it, I should. Repeat it, like stand up and say it from the belly. I should end child abuse. I should clean all the plastic out of the ocean. Just try it on like a shirt you're thinking about buying and make it your mission like really passionately and see how that feels. And if it feels like something you want to do, just take one step, just do one thing. Tomorrow, do one thing. And what happens is you do one thing and the universe says, oh, you want that? And it takes a step back towards you and offers you a new opportunity. Joseph Campbell said, the rose will rise, the road will rise up to meet you. You know, if you're on your path, the universe will meet you with more path. (laughs) And and I really experienced that in my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I talk about in my book, Get Over It. The fourth P is punch it, Margaret. Just take a step. Just do something. You're not going to see the whole path. You're not going to know. Just take a step. That's awesome. Take one step. Yeah. All right. Well, I love it. I love it. So Carol, how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more, looking at the books or watching your TED talk? Um, Best thing to do right now is go to my new website. We're building it bit by bit. We're about to attach the shop. Um, uh, it's still lcarolscott.com, but it's been directed to some new content. And um, yeah, we're about to get the, the shop connected, I think, later on this evening. 
Um, and then we'll keep adding content and, and uh, going to start a blog and put all my great podcast recordings available there as well. Perfect. Perfect. So lcarolscott.com. I'll put that in the, uh, in the show notes awesome. as well. Thank you so much for your time. This has been fascinating. And then I look yep. forward to learning more about it. Thanks, Anne. It's been fun. Well, there you have it. Dr. L. Carol Scott dropping some knowledge on us. Can you believe it? Like who we are and the, how we interact with others is wired by the time we're five. Holy moly or seven. Anyway, fascinating stuff. And you know, such great tips on how we can start to look at and build self-awareness around those seven areas, those seven success strategies, and see how they built. And then if they weren't built when we were little, start building them now. So if you are interested in more with Dr. L. Carol Scott, jump in the show notes. You can get her website. You can get her TEDx talk. You can get um, link to the book if you want a little developmental do-over workbook for yourself. And uh, make sure you're doing something to build your own self-awareness, build that understanding of yourself and how you interact with other people, because that is going to help you build what you need to build in order to be successful with other people and build your influence. So thanks so much for tuning in. I'm going to tune out from Graves Crossing Campground here. I'll see you next week.